Welcome, webheads, to the Spectacular Spider-Cast, a bi-weekly Spider-Man news and comic recap show. I'm your host, Hunter Van Lierp, and I know in the trailer that I posted up on Thursday, I said that I was going to do weekly, but I uh, flubbed up and didn't realize it until after I already posted it, and I was too lazy to take it down. But in the trailer, I did say that it was ever-changing, so it has been ever-changed to bi-weekly. It's hard to do a weekly podcast that's based on comic book recaps. Uh, Mutant Musings does bi-weekly as well because not every book comes out on time. So, for example, this week we had four books come out for Spider-Man. So that's enough to, you know, bridge the gap. But next week there's literally only one book coming out in the Spider-Family. So, besides reprints. So it's hard for me to, like, justify doing a whole episode, trying to find all these news articles that are different from this week, and then putting it up for... Just one issue. So I figured make it bi-weekly. <clears throat> so then we could cover a bunch of bases and have more books to talk about. And maybe make the show a little bit longer when there's like big Spider-Man book weeks. Because a couple weeks ago, two books came out in the same day. Spider-Man 52 and 52 LR. So it's entirely possible that we'll get a bunch more Spider-Man books. Especially leading up to the King in Black event. Which has officially started this week. With Symbiote Spider-Man number one, which we will talk about later on in the show. So, let's get on with the show, starting off with some news. So, Spider-Man PS4 Remastered and Spider-Man Miles Morales launched on the PlayStation 4 and 5, with fantastic reviews both scoring 9s at IGN. IGN's review of Spider-Man Remastered by Jonathan Dornbrush states, If you've never played Spider-Man, what have you been doing for the last two years? But your procrastination has paid off, because the remaster is much is the much better way to play thanks to the PlayStation 5's fantastic lighting effects and loading times. Even as someone who platinumed the original, it's a treat to revisit the improved New York City. The gameplay itself feels largely unchanged, but that still leaves you with a spectacular Spider-Man adventure with all of its additional content that's also one of the best superhero games ever made, and a visual treat to kick off the PlayStation 5 era. While Miles' review, also by Dornbrush, reads... Marvel's Spider-Man Miles Morales may not be quite as packed with content as the original, but it stands out as an essential story in Insomniac Spideyverse. It earns its spot as a fantastic follow-up, telling a wonderful Miles-specific story while improving upon the fundamentals of the game with distinct moves and enemies. And it's an excellent way to break your PlayStation 5. To break in your PlayStation 5, it looks spectacular, loads fast, and makes fun of the DualSense controller. But regardless of which generation you play it on, it's a worthy follow-up to one of the best superhero games ever made. I got to play... Um, I, when Spider-Man PS4 first came out, I, of course, played the shit out of it. Got the Platinum. I didn't play the New Game Plus. Uh, I, I didn't get the New Game Plus trophies. I did play one, one New Game Plus. Just to like clean up and do some cool stuff with some costumes. But uh, I didn't really get a chance to... I don't have a PS5 because everyone is, like, scalping them, so it's really annoying. So I have yet to get a real chance to play the PlayStation 5 version. But if you listen to Pound That Button, which is the PlayStation podcast me and my friends do, um, we I did get to do some hands-on stuff with the PlayStation 5 because my buddy Alex, one of the co-hosts, did get one. And we played a little bit of Spider-Man, and it was really good. It was smooth. You could change the change to locked 60 or locked 30 with the HD 4K lighting effects and stuff. So it was really cool to see what they changed up. I didn't get a chance to play Miles because I didn't want any spoilers going into it. So once I do have a chance to play Miles Morales, I will let everybody know on the show and give like a, a personal review. Maybe get Alex on the show to talk about it as well. We'll see when we get there. 
But, uh, you know, the DualSense controllers are definitely super fun, and I can't wait to see how Miles Morales does it, because we played Astro's Playroom, and that was like the PS5's tech demo, where it was like, hey, check this out. So, hopefully we'll be able to get a lot of good stuff from that. So, moving on to our next bit of news. So, <clears throat> we got our first look at the Universal Spider-Man ride, Web Slingers, a Spider-Man adventure from Disney California Adventure. According to Drew Taylor of Collider, before the coronavirus hit Southern California and forced uh, the closure of Disneyland for the better part of a year, and it isn't expected to reopen before 2021, plans have been uh, rousy for the resort with a planned summer 2020 opening for the Avengers Campus, which, unfortunately, you know, canned. The new Marvel Studios-themed area of Disney California Adventure. The keystone attraction of the new land was the, cumberless, the cumbersomely titled Web Slingers, the Spider-Man Adventure, and thanks to a new presentation by Disney Parks Chairman Dosh DeMaro at the virtual IAPPA, which is the International Association of Amusement Parks and Attractions, uh, we now have a look at what the ride's vehicles look like in action. The ride vehicles don't look too dissimilar from the Toy Story Ma uh, Midway Mania vehicles since the ride is based uh, on similar technology, like the spider capsules, uh, the Vega look Tony Starkish. In the attraction, you'll be shooting webs from your own wrists while trying to assist Spider-Man, once again voiced and played by Tom Holland, as he tracks down some out-of-control Spider-Bots who are menacing Avengers Campus. Originally, the e-ticket Spider-Man attraction planned for the land to... Planned for the land involved a swinging pendulum mechanism that would have you careening through the canyons of New York. It was a it was a next level idea that Disney filed patents for, but when it came down to playtesting, both the motion of the player, both both the motion and the level of immersion, a bustling New York street would have been projected map onto the floor, made people lose their lunch. So a smaller scale project with a more proven ride technology was proposed and built instead. So this is kind of, that Disney Mania thing is like the on rails like shooter where uh, Buzz and Woody are trying to like help you uh, take down some some bad toys. So I assume that's from what it, I was what I was reading what I um, relayed back to you guys. It's basically just going to be that, but with Spider Man, and you get to shoot your own web slinger. So I think that's really cool. Um, I do plan on going to California at some point. I want to take a trip with um, my lady and just go check it out because California seems cool. So maybe, eventually, once this is built and all ready and all is good in the world because of COVID, we can um, check it out, and then I'll talk about it whenever uh, whenever I get there, even if it's like a year or two from now. It happens. But uh, it seems really cool. I'm interested in it. I like Tom Holland as Spider-Man, so hearing him again on a little video game thing would be kind of cool. So I'm excited for that. <clears throat> on to the next bit. Screenshot and video leaks from the production of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, mostly untitled Spider-Man 3, has been spreading on the internet, some uh, from even Tom Holland himself. We've seen Spider-Man wearing a blue medical mask from the current COVID pandemic, which is, I don't think it's going to be in the movie, I think that's just Tom Holland putting on a mask and playing a good goof, you know? But uh, we've also seen Spider-Man tackling someone off a high platform, for, uh, likely to be CGI'd, kind of looks like Zendaya, aka Michelle, aka MJ. I wouldn't be surprised if um, there's like a building explosion or something, and then he's got to tackle her off to save her. Very Spider-Man-y. Uh, production is currently taking place in Atlanta, Georgia, and the Sony Marvel film is set to be released December 17th, 2021, as part of the MCU's Phase 4, which is scheduled after The Eternals. If anything changes, I'll be sure to keep you guys informed. So yeah, Spider-Man 3, uh, a lot of people are calling it like, um, like Homefront or... Home for the holidays, but a lot, a lot of them don't really uh, know what the real title is going to be. We don't even know. 
once we find out, I'll let you guys know. But it's I hope it stays with the home theme. I hope it's not like, you know, uh, homesick is a good one. I hope they don't um change it just for the third one. I feel like John Watts wouldn't do that. But if he can't think of anything clever, then he's going to have to just roll with, like, Sinister Six or Revenge of Mysterio or something. Because hopefully Mysterio, even though he's quote-unquote dead, we saw that um, his tech guy ran away with the uh, technology and then obviously made that video to uh, screw over Spider-Man. So we know that Mysterio is technically back. We can get Jake Gyllenhaal for two seconds and then he can just wear the bubble the whole time. And then we can see the tech guy be, like, the mastermind behind it. So that could be kind of cool. So we shall see what that one holds. Um, casting looks the same. We haven't really got anything new. Uh, but Ned Leeds, uh, the guy who plays Ned, I forget his name. I'm sorry. He uh, lost a lot of weight. I don't know if it was for Spider-Man or I don't know if it was just in general for another movie or, like I said, just in general. But he looks really good now. So I wonder if that's going to play into Ned's character, him being thinner. Because in the comic books, Ned Leeds... Uh, not the character specifically, but the name is the Hobgoblin. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Hobgoblin becomes like a side, like a tech-based good sidekick for Spider-Man at some point. Because if Sony decides to axe the Spider-Man properties, Hobgoblin technically isn't Spider-Man. He's a Spider-Man property, yes, but he's not Spider-Man. So they could easily throw Ned into other scenarios. So uh, Ned Leeds, the character, is a uh, amalgamation of... Hobgoblins, Ned Leeds, just by name. And then Gank from uh, the Miles Morales books, which is Miles Morales' teenage best friend. They go to uh, that Brooklyn technology school together. You saw him in um, Into the Spider-Verse briefly. He was the one that they tied up to the chair when he saw them all in the corner. So it sucks that he didn't get a huge role in that, but it wasn't really about him. It was mostly about the Spider-People. So hopefully in the sequel he gets a couple more lines. That could be fun. But in the comic books, Gank is a huge part of Spider-Man's, like, thing. So Ned Leeds being that to Tom Holland's Peter Parker was kind of cool. So Can't wait for that one. And the Phase 4 of MCU is looking crazy with Black Widow, Shang-Chi, uh, Eternals, and then Spider-Man. Plus WandaVision, uh, Falcon Winter Soldier, Loki, and Ms. Marvel, I think? Because they're already in pre-production. We did get pictures on it. Not pre-production, they're in production. We did get some pictures and we did get some casting for Bruno, so I'm super excited. Uh, I'll probably talk about the Bruno casting and the set leaks on my comic book podcast, Andrew's Amazing Podcast, which is more just like a generalized news show that I do with my co-worker at Andrew's Amazing Comics. So definitely go check that out if you can. It's every Wednesday at 10 a.m. So <clears throat> on with the fourth bit of news. Hot Toys has announced a Miles Morales figure modeled after the PS5 game, standing at one-sixth scale. Sideshow's website reads, The highly detailed figure includes a newly crafted mask, hand-sculpt with multiple pairs of interchangeable eyepieces that can create numerous expressions. A newly developed slim body shape with enhanced articulations, allowing for flexible poses, faithful recreation of the classic suit with a metallic red emblem, and a spider pattern on the upper body. Several seasonal uh, kit uh, knit pieces for interchangeable winter look. A casual backpack with interchangeable covers. A hyper-realistic Spider-Cat, which if you guys don't know who Spider-Cat is, Spider-Cat. Um, apparently in the Miles Morales game, Miles finds a cat and he puts a Spider-Man mask on it. And if you equip the backpack slash costume that he's there or like perk or something. Again, I haven't played it yet. Don't know where he's in it. Then he helps you with like finishers, like in the cinematic finishers where he'll like jump down and like shock him with his little paw. So that's kind of cool. 
Uh, it also gives you assorted spider effect accessories, matching interchangeable hands, and a dynamic stand uh, for aerial poses. The figure costs $270 plus shipping, uh, which you can work around with Sideshow's flexible payment methods, but it is set to release between January and March of 2022. So anyone wanting to get their hands on this figure as soon as possible are unfortunately going to have to wait. Uh, I don't have any of the Sideshow Hot Toys. I don't like spending too much money on my spider products. The most I've spent on a Spider-Man statue is probably $130. I got the Into the Spider-Verse Peter Parker statue, and it's looking clean. I don't really like the stand he's on, like the uh, the graffiti wall, because it doesn't really make sense for that version of the character. But the mold looks awesome, and it has an interchangeable head, so you can take it off and put on the uh, the, the, the faceless, the maskless face. So it's kind of cool. But, um, you know, the Hot Toys never really interest me. They're essentially just big dolls. Not that that's a bad thing, but just I've never been interested in it. I feel like I wouldn't like the hyper-realistic clothes. You know what I mean? Like, And then how they move with the, like the... The articulation, how they'll, they'll frill up, and I'm just not into that. Mostly into the sit-at-home chill statues. I feel like eventually I might get one Hot Toy Spider-Man. I'm not 100% positive. Maybe if I find a really good one, or maybe I'll grab the Tom Holland one, because that one seems to be everywhere. But uh, I'm not really a big Hot Toys guy. I know Raul Coley from iZombie and uh, Haunting of Blind Manor is a big Hot Toys guy. He gets a lot of the Star Wars ones. So... You know, maybe I'll uh, <laughs> bother him on Twitter until he tells me if the Hot Toys are actually good. So, we'll see. <laughs> so, uh, Lego has announced four new Spider-Man sets. The first one is called Spider-Man's Monster Truck vs. Mysterio. It features Spider-Man, Spider-Gwen, Mysterio, and Doc Ock, and a buildable spider-themed monster truck for $39.99. What? I don't under I understand kids like the, like the vehicle things, and you need something to build with Lego. But, like, a monster truck? I mean, some of these get really weird, but a monster truck? Really? I've never seen Spider-Man. I know he's got the buggy, and I know in Spider-Man Worldwide, he gets a couple, like, Spider-Tank-ish items. But none of them are a Spider-Monster truck. It does look cool, though, I'm not going to lie. But for $40, I don't think I'm going to be interested in that one. Uh, the second one, titled Spider-Man and Ghost Rider vs. Carnage, uh, it features Spider-Man Carnage and Robbie Ray as Ghost Rider and a buildable muscle car for Robbie. And that is $20. Well, $19.99. Definitely going to get this one. I love Robbie Reyes, and I do need a Spider-Man Lego for my Spider-Man collection. So I'll describe that one in Carnage. And then the, the muscle car looks fantastic. I'm probably going to have to fight my brother on uh, getting that one because he likes Robbie too. So hopefully I can get it first. Or if not, we're going to both have the same Lego set. So <laughs> we shall see. Um... There's no release date yet, but they were just announced recently, and they'll probably come out around or before holiday, so probably in the next month. The third one, called Miles Morales Mech Armor, it features Miles looking like the movie, and uh, Into the Spider-Verse, and a mech styled after him. It continues the ever-expanding Lego Marvel Mech series. Those only cost $9.99. It's basically like you put the Lego fig in a mech suit, and then that's it. Marvel recently announced um, a comic book called Avengers Mech Strike, which it's not too dissimilar from what the mechs look like here, but it's basically Iron Man builds mech armor for everybody, and it's uh, they just go fight crime or something. I don't know. We just got the first like promotional images and the uh, synopsis from the solicitations for February. So I'm excited for that. It's only a five-issue miniseries, and I'll definitely be covering it on the show as long as Spider-Man is prominent in it. Anytime Spider-Man makes an appearance that where he has more than like one line of dialogue, I will definitely cover on here. So, uh, a couple weeks ago, there was an issue of Daredevil. I think it was 23, where Spider-Man shows up. 
if I started the podcast a couple of weeks earlier, I definitely would have covered that one because he appears in it. Same with the Marvel Snapshot Spider-Man. Even though it is a Spider-Man title, he only appears in like two or three scenes. But that's what the Snapshot series really is. But I would have covered that one too. So, you know. Everything Spider-Man. <clears throat> and the final Lego set is titled Spider-Man and Sandman Showdown. It features Spider-Man and Sandman with a buildable spider quad. That's only $9.99. Again, quad, sure. It makes more sense than a monster truck, but I don't know. It is cheap, and that's pretty good. And the Spider-Man mech, besides the Miles Morales one, I do have a regular Spider-Man mech. That one only costs $9.99. If I can't get my hands on the muscle car, I'll probably just get the Spider-Mech. I don't know, because I kind of want the Spider-Mech, and I kind of want the Robbie Reyes one, because the Spider-Mech, I can keep the piece inside the mech and then put them up somewhere. And then the Robbie Reyes one, I can just keep the Lego of Spider-Man somewhere else. So maybe I'll get both. $10 and $20 isn't really that much, you know, so it won't kill me. So we'll see. I'll keep you guys posted if I get any of the uh, Legos, and I'll post them up somewhere. Next bit of news, the Spider-Verse movie Instagram account just released logo teaser images for some of the Spider characters appearing in the film besides the major characters from the last film. And I'm including that, uh, I'm including Spider-Man 2099 in that whole major characters thing. Uh, we already know Spidama, Spidama is uh, set to appear alongside his Tokohatsu, Tokusatsu-inspired mech Leopardon, which uh, we got the confirmation from that a while ago where they said they're going to bring in the... I think it's 60s or 79 uh, Japanese Spider-Man show. So I'm super excited about that one. Uh, there is a Leopardon, uh, like, Gunplow. Gunpla? Is that what it's called? It's like basically like a Gundam, but you can build it. And uh, But I'm not really good at those, like, building things, uh, like the model kits. So if I see one at Comic-Con, I might just buy it. Or if they make a new one. Like, once that movie comes out, they'll probably make, like... A Marvel Legend set that makes you build it. So I'll probably do that. Maybe get the spider on my toy as well. We shall see. I'll keep you guys posted if that gets announced. But uh, other than that, there are, all these logos look flashy and dynamic. Which make them hard to distinguish. Like we know one is uh, Miguel. And we know one is Spider-Man. But it's hard to tell what any other ones will be. Um, one of them looks like a felt. Like a, like a, like a Muppet. Or like a puppet like make. So that's kind of weird. I don't really, I'm not really, even though I've read Spider-Verse and Spider-Geddon, I'm not really too well-versed on some of these Spider-Characters they might use, because we already have Ham, um, Noir, and Gwen, plus Miles, so it's kind of hard to figure out, like, what Spider-Man they will use besides Spider-Man in 2099. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we get the Punk Rock one, uh, Spider-Punk, which is Hobie, which is one of the, um, Prowlers, because he was kind of prominent in the books. And then I wouldn't be surprised if we also get Superior Spider-Man at some point, which is the Doc Ock-inspired Spider-Man. That would be really cool. And it would be a cool dynamic to have uh, Doc Ock on the team rather than just all being basically Spider-Man, even though Hobie's technically not Spider-Man like Peter Parker. So it would be kind of cool to see. Um, but for now, it's up to pure speculation. And I'm going to be honest, I have no real clue who or what they're going to be besides that one... Those two guesses I made. Well, we'll see. And last but not least, Sony, Marvel, and Jaden Smith, of all people, have teamed up to make a music video for Jaden's new song, I'm Ready, which was created for the Miles Morales PS5 game. I have yet to watch it because I'm not really a fan of his music, but I saw the music video, like, stills. It looks really cool. They used some visual effects. Uh, I'll check it out, and then next episode I'll talk about it. Just so we get the, um, the fun little bits and bops, you know. So, 
that is it for our news this week. It was kind of hefty, but that's because I pulled together a lot of stuff. I don't think the news will be as big as it was this week, but who's to say we have two weeks basically for the next one. So fingers crossed on that. Uh, right now we're going to move on to our uh, comic book review recap situation. This week's releases were Amazing Spider-Man 53, Spider-Woman 6, Symbiote Spider-Man King of Black number 1, and Venom 30. Warning, I'm going full spoilers on these, so if you don't want to hear anything about the books that you've been reading, I'm going to be reading them in the order I named them. So we'll jump probably like 10-20 minutes ahead to get to the uh, closing section if you don't want to hear anything about them. But if you don't care about spoilers, I'm going to go head on into this. Starting with Amazing Spider-Man 53. So, here we go. <clears throat> I'll go over the creative team and etc. like I do on my normal show. And then we'll get into it. So, Amazing Spider-Man 53 is part of the Last Remains storyline. It is part 4. It is written by Nick Spencer with art by Mark Bagley. By the way, I know this is blasphemy, but I don't like Bagley's artwork. I come to that conclusion a couple weeks ago. I don't like Bagley. I think he draws, I think his faces aren't good. So it's hard to tell, like, what's going on. And I don't like um, how he gives Peter, like... W like, Peter has muscles, but he gives Peter, like, weird-looking muscles, if that makes any sense. You'll know what I mean when you uh, read this issue. So, for those of you who don't know what the Last Remains storyline is, each issue gives you a small recap, which I will read, and then I'll get into the meaty bits. So, the villain Kindred has finally struck. He resurrected the Sin Eater to cleanse criminals of their sins including Norman Osborn, a.k.a. the Green Goblin. Then Kindred sent all the collected sins after Peter Parker's friends, uh, spider friends, turning them into his demonic puppets and using them to wreak havoc on New York City. Meanwhile, a penitent Norman revealed that Kindred is really his son, Harry Osborn, but Peter doesn't know it yet. When Kindred threatened to make the Spider-Mans tear each other apart, Peter pleaded for their lives in exchange for his own. Kindred took the deal, and after freeing the Spider-Man the spider hero is from his control. He killed Spider-Man. He literally just broke his neck. And I was like, mm, that's weird, but okay. And then we're going to see in this issue, what is the ramification of that? So we get a fantastic cover from Gleason and it opens up with Kindred sitting over his son and his wife in, because it's at this point, we know it's Harry. Maybe Nick Spencer will twist it around, but right now it's Harry. So we see him standing over Normie, I think is his kid's name. And his wife, uh, Holly, I want to call her. I haven't, they haven't been relevant in all of these 50 issues until just now. And last time I saw them was in the Red Goblin arc. So I'm not 100% positive that those are their actual names. But I'm pretty okay with that kind of stuff. So it opens up with him standing over them. And then lightning cracks in the back. We see Peter Parker wake up and head down, like wake up in a bed and head downstairs to see Aunt May cooking him breakfast. This looks like a flashback or like a like, like a story that's been told once or twice, probably around the Red Goblin arc, because we do see that Flash Thompson is alive, which we'll get to in a sec. Uh, Mary, I'm not Mary Jane. Uh, Aunt May tells him that he's going to be late for a party, and that he uh, so then he runs out. He's walking down uh, one of the bridges, and he heads to what looks like Stark Towers. It just says Towers on it. Maybe it's Osborne Towers. Uh, he ro he rolls up. He goes up the elevator and he gets to the party that is hosted for someone he doesn't quite know. He thinks he remembers it, but he doesn't understand what it is yet. He's still in like a weird like dreamscape from the last issue where he took um, the hand of Ashanti from Doctor Strange with the help of Black Cat. And 
he went into the astral plane to discover like what's going on and then he shows up gets killed and then appears here so we see him enter the party and he sees flash and they all talking about this surprise that's coming he looks across the hall and he sees mary uh mj mj for some reason leaves the party like abruptly i don't know what's going on with that i don't know what time period this is this takes place in because mj and peter had a rough had a rough patch somewhere around spider-man worldwide because of uh, Doc Ock taking over Peter Parker's brain and like basically ending that relationship in Superior Spider-Man. So he's been trying to piece it back together. They briefly reconcile, I believe, in the beginning of this one where they get together again officially. But before that, they were kind of like dating, you know, before they're like officially married in quotes. So I've been more of a fan of uh, the Black Cat relationship. If I ever get to write Spider-Man, I'm going to try to push a Black Cat relationship or maybe write something uh, in canon but, like, in a different time period, kind of like SMB and Spider-Man does it, to push that relationship because I like them. I think they're a nice fit, and having Black Cat turn from uh, zero to hero is kind of cool uh, through Peter's actions. So, you know, maybe I'll change my mind by the end of this arc if, like, something happens, but back at the beginning of this Snake Spencer run, uh, Felicia lost her memories. I forget why, but Felicia lost her memories and didn't remember. I think it was through Secret Wars. And didn't remember that Peter Parker, like who his identity was. So Pete re reveals that to build up their friendship because Doc Ock was a dick to her at some point. So we get to see uh, that happen again. I think it's issue 13. So that was really cool. And they, they mentioned it in 52.LR. So uh, we then see. The party is being held for Nor uh, for Harry Osborn. It's a surprise party. Uh, he shows up, and then it cuts to um, Kindred leaving the house. It doesn't really look like a house. It kind of looks like a weird dimension. Like, he walks through his house, and then he gets to a door. And then it's all these mirrors and, like, just stone, and that's all you see. And then we see uh, Spider-Man's body on a slab. And this is where I'm talking about with Bagley's, like, weird muscle areas. His shading is good, but I don't think that's him. I think it's his anchor. So, after that, it jumps back to the party flashback thing in Peter's head. We see uh, Lily Hollister. I think that's the... I think it's who it is. It's Lily, not Holly. And um, and Carly Cooper, who is uh, Lily's best friend. Um, kind of step in the way of Pete. Uh, MJ then leaves the party. Norm, uh, Harry then holds up a couple of champagne glasses and wants to make a toast to his friends. It then jumps to some Kindred stuff, and it is now finally revealed to Peter that Kindred is Harry Osborn. I don't know how or why, but we'll find out by the end of this. Nick Spencer has teased some fantastic stuff, so I cannot wait to see what Nick Spencer does. I like Nick Spencer's writing. But the problem is he takes too fucking long to announce anything. Kindred was introduced in Amazing Spider-Man number one, which was issue 801. It has been 50 plus issues since we finally got to reveal who Kindred actually was. And I mean, I understand the slow build and he had that huge hunted story in the middle. But still, not revealing who Kindred was at issue 25 was a mistake. I feel like he should have done that because Donny Cates, I, I, don't, I don't like to compare writers too much. But Donny Cates does his reveals proper in uh, Venom and then Thor now. Every two or three issues, there'll be a big reveal, and that'll get people to uh, keep the book spiced up in their like in their heads and stuff and then keep it on their pull lists. 
Nick Spencer is the he's a long burn kind of guy. I like the Spider-Man run. It's a nice back to basics. The first arc was a little rocky, but it's a nice back to basics. And I do like um, how he writes Spider-Man, but I don't like how he writes Harry because of the only Harry stuff we've gotten has been Kindred. So hopefully after the reveal of this, we get to see what the real motivations are and see what happens. Because from what it looks like, we, we saw in one of the last issues that Harry dug up a bunch of the graves of the people that got Spider-Man, uh, that Spider-Man got killed, including Gwen, George, Gene DeWolf, Flash. So I wouldn't be surprised if Harry at some point died off screen and Peter Parker didn't know about it. And then he was brought back to life by some demon because it seems like uh, through the help of Doctor Strange that Kindred is essentially a demon. So we could see that Harry died sometime off screen and or off page. And then he came back to be like, all right, this happens to Pete all the time. I need to prove to him that he is wrong in what he does and him being a hero is actually detrimental to everyone around him that's kind of what they did in sins past where they had um a scene eater come back and he was like spider-man you're like he shot spider-man with the gun but spider-man didn't get hurt because it, uh he was pure of heart and he didn't have any true sins but the sins spider-man has are actually the um the sins of all the dead people that he's got around him so we'll see what goes on with that uh issue 53 lr comes out next week and issue four comes out the week uh, issue 54 comes out the next week and the event ends in december or the event the storyline ends with spider-man 55 and then it's back on to i think king and black 56 so we shall see anyway so that was spider-man 53 uh good issue i again i don't really like bagley's artwork too much on spider-man so i'm probably going to give this a four because it, it, it's a solid story. It continues on with what we're doing. Nothing too crazy. It's it's new reader friendly enough. Like if a kid walked up and picked up the Spider-Man issue. He'd be able to understand what's going on. But not too much. Because there's a lot of stupid complications that come with Kindred. So it's not too new reader friendly. But hopefully with issue. F after King and Black. Uh, hopefully the new reader friendliness will go back up to uh, top tier. We shall see. Next up is Spider-Woman number 6. Uh, written by Carla Pacheco with art by Perry Perez. Uh, I will do the little recap for you because this is issue six. It is technically the start of a new arc, but it is continuation of what happened in the new issue with her new costume. So Jessica Drew was sick. The aggressive illness that nearly killed her as a child had returned brought back by some, uh, someone sir, no man, serpentipitous, uh, serpentipitously removing the cure her father created, which gave her superpowers. That someone was Michael Markand, pharmaceutical CEO and Jessica's half-brother. He was trying to reverse-engineer the cure to save his daughter, who has a similar illness. Jessica agreed to work with Marchand uh, to save his daughter and possibly Jessica's own son, who she had a while back in one of the other Spider-Man runs. Uh, the serum they developed made Jessica stronger, but also increasingly unstable. To fix it, they went to uh, Wangdapur Mountain, where a clone of Jessica's dead mother was revealed to be the mastermind behind the plan. An attack from Octavia Vermis destroyed the base and the clone, but left the signs of the cure pointing in one direction, the High Evolutionary. So, this opens up with um, Jessica Drew in her new costume, fighting uh, weird mole things on the moon, or on a moon, with Captain Marvel. She opens up with a monologue explaining what's going on and that she met her brother and that she needs to get the cure so she can save her niece and her son at some point. 
Um, they're specifically on an abandoned moon of Counter-Earth, far beyond Earth's orbit, last known location for the High Evolutionary. So, we see a nice relationship between Captain Marvel and Jessica Drew, which has always been kind of prominent in the comics. And we see them fighting these weird moles. Uh, they're yelling at each other, and Jessica is going a little too far with how she's fighting these guys, because, again, the the cure that they have, like the manufactured cure, kind of makes her a little unstable. So she's getting a little testy. Um, they're fighting about how um, Jessica never asks for help, and when she does, it's only for something stupid, and she doesn't expect you to come with her. So Carol was like, oh, no, if I'm bringing you to the moon, I'm going to help you on the moon, because I don't want you to kill yourself just because you like working alone and we know jessica drew is kind of like a super spy so it is what it is um it's also hard to tell if jessica drew is british for some reason she says mum m-u-m i know that's not like a specifically british thing but she says it all the time when describing her mom instead of saying oh my mom she goes my mom and i'm like is she british because I've never really heard Spider-Woman talk outside of, like, cartoons. And if the cartoons aren't 100% accurate all the time with some of their voices, we know that from Pride of the X-Men, where Wolverine was Australian. Oh, I'm Wolverine. Kind of weird. And then we see Carol Danvers say, I'm sorry, love. Like, is Carol, is Carla? Is it Carla? Yeah, is Carla British? And maybe she's just projecting because that's how she writes? I don't know. We shall see. So they get to the moon base and uh, Carol is able to read the weird language and she finds out that they have to go to Sphinxor, which uh, Jessica laughs at. Sphinxor is a um, quadrant in one of the, uh, is, a, is a planet in one of the quadrants that could potentially hold the high evolutionary. So they get back to the ship and they fly to Scav City, which is an alpha base, E-L-F-P-H, E-L-E-P-H-A, uh, it's a, it's like um like a space bar situation. Well, it's a city, but it looks more like a space bar. They show up there and they start interrogating people, but instead of asking actual questions, Jessica just starts beating the shit out of everybody. Eventually, they find somebody to help them who's this big, large, green alien guy, and he tells them um, where to find it. He doesn't know if a high, evolution, high evolutionary is going to be there, but he does know that um, that people who worship him are there. So they get back into the ship. They talk to Tony. Tony says, hey, I know you stole my ship. Please don't blow it up. Uh, spoiler alert, two pages later, they blow it up, but it's not their fault. They get attacked by um, people on Counter-Earth uh, and Sphinxor, which basically is like the talking animals that um, the High Evolutionary makes. He basically makes everything fully evolved. So there's like a monkey, there's a capybara, there's a dog, there's a cat, and then there's a weird like moloid. And uh, they're called the Knights of Wangdapur. They basically watch over um, the High Evolutionary's base until he comes back. Um, as we know, the High Evolutionary was banished at some point by the Avengers. These uh, knights brought him back. And then he just straight up leaves. He comes back and he's like, alright, cool, bye. I guess he needs to repent or something. He feels guilt. I didn't read the last uh, series he was in. I think it was Uncanny Avengers back in 2015, though. Where he shows up and then he's like, Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch, you're actually not mutants. So then they could be in the Marvel movies. And I was like, okay, that's dumb, but here's what it is. I think they banished him at that point. Jessica then gets pissed and then beats the shit out of the, um, the, uh, Wangdaporians. And she's obviously going crazy because of the, the cure. Carol kind of reels her back. They steal a ship from them. Tony calls up, hey, uh, glad you guys are okay, but that's not my ship. And then uh, Jessica goes, yeah, but, you know, it's close enough. 
and then jumps to them landing, and then Jessica Drew rides off, leaving Carol in the dust to go interrogate her brother, and then it ends with her fighting a Sasquatch, who might know where the High Evolutionary is, but uh, we finally see that Carol uh, is finally getting in touch with Drew, and Drew's finally answering that the King in Black is coming, the sky uh, loses all of its color, and the, scar the stars are gone, and then we see a silhouette of a spider and some dragons in the sky. So the next issue of Spider-Woman is going to be King of Black related. So, that's kind of cool. Not having read any issue besides the first issue of Spider-Woman in the series, uh, this is actually pretty new reader-friendly. I was able to catch up on, besides reading a little recap, I was able to catch up on everything that was happening with like the serum and her aggression because a good writer writes in the first couple pages a small recap of the story while also progressing the story. You can see that they're fighting on the moon and they're slowly getting towards their goal, but the dialogue is saying how she found her mother and she was evil and the brother uh, cured her, uh, took away the cure that her father gave her so then she could, so he could use it on his daughter. And it was a kind of good recap that I didn't really know just from reading the first issue because in the first issue, she just gets a new costume and we see her powers are malfunctioning. That's all we saw in the first issue, really. We talked about it way back in the day on our podcast. I think right before COVID hit is when this issue came out. So, you know, or right after, I forget. It was cool to see like a nice little recap. Um, I'm going to give this issue probably another four because I'm not really a Jessica Drew fan and her being aggressive is kind of annoying because she's never really like this. She's never really rash. Yeah, she thinks some, she uh, doesn't think sometimes when she acts kind of like how Peter does, but she's not really like an asshole. And I know this whole serum thing is making her an asshole. But, you know, besides it being super new reader friendly, I don't particularly care for how she just, like, is leaving her friends for no reason. I understand she doesn't want to hurt them, but Carol is like Space God. Especially in the Marvel movies. Uh, Carol in the books is pretty fucking strong. She's led the Avengers once or twice. She's not like, oh no, uh, Spider-Woman's gonna kill me, you know, because can Spider-Man beat up Captain Marvel? Probably. Can he win? Probably not. She shoots lasers. So... I don't know, we'll see. I do like how she's aggressive towards bad guys in a way. I know I said that her being too aggressive is a little annoying because she wouldn't act like that, but I've always had a problem with superheroes not... Like, Punisher is the only exception because Punisher is the Punisher, but if a, if a superhero wants information, they obviously don't kill the guy. But if a superhero wants information, you're going to need to get a little aggressive with some of the people like who are especially loyal to like their uh, like the henchmen who are loyal to their boss or the mafia. So you're going to need to get a little aggressive. And the fact that some heroes either dance around it or try mind games is kind of lame. Just punch them and see until they, you know, just punch them and stab them, like in, like, the leg, nothing too vital, until they, you know, give up some answers. Punisher's always been great at that. I don't want to see Spider-Man do it or Captain America, but characters like Jessica Drew who have a little bit more of a darker side, her being a spy and all and getting the means she needs to, like Black Widow, you know, like if Moon Knight did it or Punisher, yeah, sure. Spider-Man, obviously not. But if we see someone like Daredevil do it, yeah, it makes sense. You need to have the right balance of character. And I think uh, Carla Pacheco is finally getting the right balance of Spider-Woman she needs. So hopefully in King and Black it stays relatively the same. And I'll be trying to cover every single King and Black issue in December. And that's going to be a lot of issues. So bear with me on this. I think, <laughs> even though I said this is going to be bi-weekly, I think once we get into the meat and potatoes of King and Black, I think I might make it weekly just for the month of December. Or just cover 90% books and only do like two bits of news. You guys let me know what you guys want to see and I'll uh, you know, figure it out. So next up is 
I was going to read it in order of when I read it out before, doing Symbiote Spider-Man next, but I feel like I should cover Venom first, because Venom uh, 30 is technically the lead-up to King and Black. So I'm going to be covering uh, Venom 30, which is part of the Venom Beyond story, and it's part 5, it's the final part. I uh, will read you a little recap. Uh, it was written by Donny Cates with art by Luke Ross. It is the finale to Venom Beyond. So... Mac Gargan, the supervillain known as Scorpion and former host to the Venom symbiote, recently acquired a suit uh, of power armor and assumed the name Virus, targeting Eddie, the symbiote's current host, and his son v Dylan. But Gargan's equipment malfunctioned as he launched his first assault on Venom and his progeny, and the three of them were sent careening into the multiverse, only to materialize in a world where Eddie Brock is dead, his ex-wife Annie Weying is Venom, and Dylan has grown up into Codex, a merciless dictator who has covered the world and its people in symbiotes. After being stripped of his armor and forcibly bonded to one of those very symbiotes, Gargan turned into a monstrous incarnation of the Scorpion and attacked the Brocks, who stripped him of his parasitic other and made a deal with him. They let him live as long as he brings them Codex. So, we open up on Earth uh, 1051 in the current time where uh, Dylan slash Adult Dylan slash Codex is sitting on his throne asking uh, Gargan where everybody is. He sees Gargan get stripped of the suit, and then he gets shot off of his chair. He can, like, mind meld with them and, like, kind of, like, see through their eyes. It's kind of cool, like D&D uh, &D when you have a familiar. Uh, then Otto Octavius, which is one of his lackeys, shows up to tell him that he can build a trans-dimensional portal, an interdimensional portal, to get into another dimension to spread the uh, symbiote disease. And um, he tells him to start building it at once. We then jump to Reed Richards' underground laboratory. In this one, Reed Richards is clinically insane, and he's got a big white beard, and he's wearing a dome on his head, and he's like, Arr! he's like a crotchety old man. He's explaining to everybody that um, he's going to give Mac Gargan, like he's going to fix up, because Mac Gargan, I think his spine is broken. I think that happened in Absolute Carnage, when his spine got ripped out from Carnage. So we see that he's uh, hooking him up with like a metal suit, and he's going to give him, oh, they're going to help. Uh, he says that he can build the portal. And Doc Ock said he can build it in two weeks. Reed Richards says with his limited sources, he can build it in five years. Uh, Dylan and Eddie then talk about how they don't want to stay here. For, uh, how Eddie tells Dylan how he doesn't want to stay here for five years. And uh, Dylan's like, well, I want to spend time with my mom. Even though it's not really his mom, it's the alternate dimension mom, but still. You see someone with your mom's face after your mom's been dead for how many years? And you, you know, you're going to want to hang out with them. We then get a little heart to heart with... Uh, the Agent Venom, Annie, and Dylan. And it jumps to uh, them waking up to go fight Codex. Venom then breaks into Codex's lair with a giant Fantastic Four vehicle. And the rest of the squad shows up with Gargan, Deadpool, Carnage, Andy, and Spider-Man in tow in Agent Venom suits. We got to see them appear in, I think, issue 27. And we got to see that Deadpool was bonded with the Venom symbiote and well he's done that he's done that before but uh he got recruited he's a little bit more sane than normal but not really we got to see Andy is back with an Age of Venom suit Andy is um the one from Circle of Four she is uh Maniac or Manic I forget what, how, the, how they pronounce it we see Spider-Man with a mustache is also one of them and then we see Cletus Cassidy who is reformed is part of the agents so that's really cool and then we see Gargan with the laser gun uh Eddie is fighting Codex and Codex then summons his symbiote Avengers to attack the gang. Matt Gargan then obviously betrays them after Eddie says he's not going to hurt Dylan. And he puts on the virus armor, but 
Reed Richards shoots him and eliminates the armor because he knows that it's a uh, War Machine Mark III armor. So him and because him and Tony Stark are friends on any world, any any world he says. Then jumps to uh, Dylan stopping Adult Codex, Adult Dylan Codex, from uh, bonding with everybody by using his weird symbiote powers because he was because since both parents were tied to the symbiote at some point because Annie does get to wear it uh, I think way back in Venom 38 like older series um or Venom she is the devil or something like that but um so he's got like symbiote in his DNA because it's not just Eddie's kid it's any Annie and Venom's kid it's really weird Donny Cates really he knows what he's doing though so it's not really like it's too convoluted uh we then see them both meld their memories together so Dylan can get memories of his mom and then Codex can get memories of his dad and it kind of builds like a little happy relationship. Some of them are falsified, but still Dylan is then free from Codex, but put into a coma and all of the other symbiotes uh, around the world go off and Reed says that everything's returning to normal. And with the technology he has from Doc Ock, he can return them home. It then cuts to a screen that says one uh, a screen, a page that says one year later, where uh, Eddie, Dylan, and Annie are walking around in Central Park after they start rebuilding everything. And um, they explain that uh, the, the time they spent there is great, but Reed and the doctors have finally uh, figured out what they're doing. They want Annie to come with them, but Annie wants to wait until Codex finally wakes up from his coma so he can be there for her son when she wasn't able to be there before. I think that's nice. Uh, a couple more months pass. I think it's like a year and like six months, they say. So Dylan is now like, a, I think it was 11, now he's like 13. I think they're easily going to make Dylan a uh, superhero and put him on Champions or something after this King of Black event if he doesn't die. So, we'll see. Kind of like what they did with um, like Miles Morales and Ms. Marvel, put him on Champions. I'm excited for that. And I will be covering Champions since Miles Morales is in the book. It then jumps to um, them leaving and heading back to Prime Earth. But all the stars are missing. And that is where it says to be continued in King in Black. So the King in Black storyline is kicking off next month with King in Black number one. And then it's going to tie into every single Spider title, except for maybe Spider-Man. I think he has a one shot. I forget. Because Spider-Man, uh, Nick Spencer really doesn't try to tie too much into the overarching events because he has his own story to tell. He did do two issues in Absolute Carnage, but he did skip out on War of the Realms and Empire. So we'll see. But that was Venom issue 30. I'm going to give this a 5. This was fantastic, heart heartwarming, heartwhelming, and just an overall fantastic read. You really get to feel the relationship between Annie, Dylan, and Eddie, even though it's an alternate universe, Annie. It's really nice. It's really touching. The The art is fantastic from Luke Ross. Codex is a cool villain. I, I wish he lasted a little bit longer. But with the, with the story that um, Donnie is telling, I wouldn't be surprised if adult... Um, if Annie and adult Dylan do come back at some point. And it also is revealed that Gargan, uh, Scorpion, is thrown into jail in the alternate dimension in uh, Earth 1051. So Scorpion might be MIA for a long time in the comic books, unless they decide to, not retcon it, but take him out of prison. So like, let's, let's say Spider-Man 56, they use Scorpion. Does that mean he escaped Earth 1051? No. Not unless Venom, not unless uh, Spider-Man is tied to the King of Black event. If there's a one-shot, that can be considered that canon, which follows that. But Collins what canon is really weird. I would like to see Matt Gargan come back. I think the Scorpion's a compelling villain, but I 
don't want to see him for a while because I think Donny Cates' books are on the forefront of the Marvel lineup, and I don't want to see them just get retconned in two seconds because someone wants to use Scorpion when they can use someone else. There's even a lady Scorpion that's around right now. I think his name is Scorpina or Scorpiana. Use her instead of using regular Scorpion. They're almost the same character, and yes, they're not the same character, but it's, it's a lot easier to be like, oh, it's... I want to do a Scorpion story. Well, how about you do a Scorpion female story and then, you know, add in some of, like, the uh, the Fearsome Five or the the new Sinister Six. I forget what they introduced themselves as back in uh, Spider-Man 20 or something. So, we shall see. On to our last book of the week, by Symbiote Spider-Man, King in Black. For those of you who don't know, the Symbiote Spider-Man line is a in-canon um, past story that peter david and greg land have been telling for the last three years or three volumes it's basically um it takes place right after peter parker gets the black suit in the comic books and so it's like the 80s or 90s or something and it um it just tells like extra stories in that part because i feel like the symbiote spider-man stuff was always overshadowed in the books but now they're bringing it back in the modern day which i think is cool but this one is tied to king and black which is technically Knoll's first canonical well not Knoll, but a person sent by Noel's first canonical appearance besides like I think Noel showing up at the beginning of time or whatever so I will read the uh, symbiote spider-man recap just so you guys know what the fuck I'm talking about after his first secret wars Peter Parker returned home to New York City with a brand new costume he thought it had been crafted by alien technology but it could respond to his every thought shapeshift to mimic his civilian clothing and even generate a seemingly endless supply of unique webbing Now in his sleek all-black costume, Peter Parker bounces his personal life, his photography job for the Daily Bugle, and his superheroics as he swings through the city as the amazing, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Though unbeknownst to him, the alien costume has more than meets the eye. So, this is part one in the Sword and the Spirit story written by Peter David and with art by Greg Land. So I don't really need to do a recap of what happened before, but the last two volumes were Symbiote Spider-Man... And then Symbiote Spider-Man Alien Reality. In the first Symbiote Spider-Man, it is him versus Mysterio. It kind of tied into um, Far From Home's release. And then the second one was Alien Reality, where Hobgoblin becomes like the Sorcerer Supreme and then like transports him to another dimension. It's kind of weird, but it's cool. So this issue opens up with Alistair Smythe doing what he does, waking up in Ravencroft after the um, Spider Slayer incident. And uh, he is greeted by Mr. E., who is a villain from way back in the day, but it seems like they're going to be changing his origin to match more of uh, Null, which I think is kind of cool, making him like a pseudo-symbiote. He calls um, the symbiote that Spider-Man is wearing brother a couple times, so I wouldn't be surprised if he's secretly a Clintar, or they're retconning him to be a Clintar. Even though Peter David is writing this, uh, Donny Cates has the overall like CFO, uh, CCO job for the event that he's doing, which is the King of Black, so... He probably said, uh, Peter, I would like you to do this, but obviously do your own story. So, we'll see. It then jumps to Uatu, the Watcher, on the moon, watching what's unfolding with Alistair Smythe. And then he gets picked up by Kang, the Conqueror. And Kang is trying to siphon um, all of the information from the Watcher so he can stop Null from coming. Because Kang, even though he's a bad guy, he's also like a hero because he wants his future to happen. Which has to happen through certain parameters. So, anything that threatens to fuck up his future, he stops. So, even though Kang is a bad guy, he's also considered a good guy. He showed up in the Infinity Wars, 
story, which had um, the warp stuff going on, where he fused with Kamala Khan, where he became Kamala Kang. Kind of a dumb name, but it is what it is. And he uh, ended up helping save the day. So, you know, he's not the worst guy. He's definitely not a good guy, though. Then jumps back to Peter saving a boy from getting hit by a car. And he jumps up to the Daily Bugle, where Ned Leeds, who in this storyline is um, not Hobgoblin yet, or he was a reformed Hobgoblin. I did not get to finish the Alien Reality storyline. I'm so sorry. So I don't know if this is actually Ned Leeds or if they use the other uh, Hobgoblin. But Ned is here, and he is a reporter, and he's going to Ravencroft to meet with Alistair Smythe. Alistair wanted Jonah specifically, but Jonah's too busy for that. So they send him back there, and then Jonah asks Peter to go with him to take pictures. So they arrive at the... Um, uh, after Kang's ship explodes, they arrive at Ravencroft where it's revealed that Mr. E uh, has all eclipsed the moon somehow, or eclipsed the sun, but also has taken over Alistair Smythe, giving him his uh, legs back, making him able to walk. And then he gets everybody on with the symbiote. Spider-Man then suits up and fights Mr. E, basically the whole rest of the issue. No real uh, plot happens. They're just fighting. Uh, Spider-Man's like, stop calling me brother. Mr. E's like, why would I not call you brother? You're obviously, you know, what I am. And Spider-Man's like, no. Because um, Mr. E doesn't know that Spider-Man is a dude inside the suit. He just thinks it's the, the Clintar fighting him. It then jumps to Black Knight throwing his ebony blade into the um, Mr. E. And then Mr. E uh, runs away. So they've been, they've tying, they're tying Black Knight into this event by making potentially his sword part of Null's, like, ebony, darkness, whatever. I think it's cool. I've always liked Black Knight. I think he always gets shafted in his storylines. The Frank Terry book was pretty good where he was on Weird World. But this is, like I said before, like a prequel. Or set in the 80s. So it's old Black Knight. Still Dane Whitman, but old Black Knight with his ebony blade where he's not yet fully crazy. It then jumps back to Kang as he gets picked up by Rocket Raccoon in his green outfit uh, on board the Rack in Ruin 2, which is a ship that Rocket owns. Then it teases up the next issue of King and Black, and it gives us a checklist. So I'll be going over uh, the checklist for at least the first half of the King and Black. So issue one, I mean, uh, obviously the first one is Symbiote Spider-Man. Then it's King and Black number one, Atlantis Attacks number five, The Union number one, Venom 31, King and Black Immortal Hulk number one, King and Black Namor number one, Black Cat number one, Symbiote Spider-Man number two, King and Black number two, Spider-Woman seven, King and Black, Iron Man, Doctor Doom, and then King in Black, Namor. So those are the ones that I'll be covering the first half of the checklist, whatever, you know, I'll be jumping into that. That's why I said I might switch this to weekly just for King and Black because King and Black is so fucking huge. But we shall see when we get there. So that has been the recap of the books that have come out this week. Before I close out, I'm going to uh, tell you what reprints of Spider-Man titles came out and then move on to our outro. So, reprints this week were Marvel Voices number one, which is a reprint slash expanded edition. It had a Miles Morales story in it, and I think a Silk story. Don't quote me on that, though. I read it when it came out last year. Um, Miles Morales Spider-Man number 19 went into second print, which is part of the like Million Goblin arc with Prowler coming back. Uh, Venom 27 got its fourth printing. Then True Believers King and Black Monster World number one came out, which is a Venom Super Special, which is a reprint of Venom Super Special number one. And then True Believers King and Black Thunderbolts number one came out, which is a reprint of Incredible Hulk 449. So those are the books that came out 
through the weekly releases and then through the reprints. I won't be reading the reprints, but I will just be telling you what, you know, what books came out that are relevant to Spider-Man because it's fun. And if you guys want to get more bits and pieces, it's always fun to check out the extra reprints. So without any further ado, uh, thank you all for listening. This has been the show. Let me know what you think. This show is ever-changing, and I'm always up for pointers. You can follow me at Instagram at ScruffyMooseMan. Stay tuned every other Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for the next issue of the Spectacular Spider-Cast. Thank you so much. Uh, I appreciate everything. If you guys did listen to the whole thing, thank you so much. Um, this is the first solo podcast I've ever done, and I'm glad I made it to about an hour. I'm kind of surprised. Uh, hopefully I can keep this up. I do do three other podcasts and I'm planning on doing a fourth one, but I might make it the opposite Saturday of this one. And I'll talk about that when I can. So the main podcast I do, I mentioned two of them on the show already. It's pound that button, which is a PlayStation podcast. I do with my buddies, Alex and CJ from high school. We basically just cover PlayStation. It's it's mostly a gaming podcast, but we try to specifically focus on PlayStation because we all love PlayStation. But every once in a while, we'll talk about Nintendo or Xbox every, uh, that's every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Every Wednesday, you can check out Android's Amazing Podcast, which is a regular comic book podcast news show that I host with my coworker James from Android's Amazing Comics. We have evergreen topics. We talk about news, and then we review whatever new books come out this week. If you go back to this week's episode, you can check out a more in-depth, I mean, more in-depth review, but a less in-depth recap of what happened in Symbiote Spider-Man number one. Oh, uh, Symbiote Spider-Man, I'm going to give a five, by the way. I forgot to review it. I'm going to give it a five. It's fantastic. The art's good. I like Greg Land a lot. Yeah, it draws Peter Parker's face at one point really weird. But uh, anyway, sorry for that. But uh, And then you can check out my third podcast, which is uh, every Friday at 10 a.m., which is called Box Office Losers, where me and my buddy Zach talk about movies. It's mostly a movie information show because we copy down a lot of notes and write up a draft of here's the movie we're talking about, we're going to give you a bunch of information about it, and then we're going to give it our own little review. So it's a review show slash, like, like a, not trivia, but like, note show. We just try to give you the most information we can about the movie that we're covering. Whether it be funny, or trivia, or, you know, it is what it is. So, thank you guys so much. Thank you again. Every other Saturday at 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, you can check out the spectacular Spider Cast, hosted by me, Hunter Van Lira. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.